0: From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugez, and this is The Explainer.
1: Well, I'm conflicted about cancel culture because, of course, you know, it's also prevalent in universities as well um, and all over social media. So on the one hand, you know, you would want people who say objectively sexist, racist, homophobic, outrageous things to be held accountable. But I don't know that denying the right to speak or automatically calling for terminations or boycotts is always the right thing.
0: Welcome back to another season of the Miami Law Explainer the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. From Kodak to McDonald's to woke washing and cancel culture, Miami law compliance expert Marcia Weldon rounds up the summer of misdeeds and missteps in corporate America. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview.
2: Good morning, Marcia. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay. So it's been a busy sea season in compliance world. Is woke washing when a company is just paying like hypocritical lip service to a cause without really affecting any change? Sure.
1: So some people in the audience might not even know what woke washing is. It's actually a term. So you may, for example, you may have heard of greenwashing when companies will make all kinds of environmental claims or those other kinds of things. Woke washing comes from the term woke, the slang term woke, where people are, companies are socially conscious, in tune with what the youth and the community wants, et cetera. So there's a concept of woke washing, which actually has been along for a, a long time, but it's come to the fore lately as we have the Black Lives Matter, anti racism, social justice protests, and you have all of these companies that have been slapping things up on social media making all kinds of claims, we're with you, we stand with you, all of these kinds of things, which sound good, but the problem is, you know, companies are faced with a pandemic, the anti-racism movement, and creating an economy all at the same time. Mm -hmm. So some of them want to have what's called a CSR halo effect, CSR for corporate social responsibility, or now it's more called sustainability, but the halo effect of companies that may be doing terrible things to the environment, but they give a lot of money to breast cancer research. People think, oh, that's a fantastic company. So the CSR halo effect is what what I think some companies are doing now. They're trying to say, look, we're so committed to anti-racism and it's not just diversity and inclusion, it's diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've got all the buzzwords, but what's happened is that they go on social media And the employees that actually work at these companies say, really, because we're not getting paid properly, or really, you care about black employees, black lives? What about the black employees? Or, you know, you care about me too? What about the female employees that can't get promoted? So it's been a real backlash because they have the platitudes on social media, but they act differently in their own companies. And so you found actually several companies have been sued through what's called a shareholder derivative suit, where shareholders are suing and plaintiff's lawyers on behalf of some shareholders. Are suing um, Oracle, Facebook, Qualcomm, the Gap. They've been uh, sued recently for claiming to have a commitment to diversity, but really just paying lip service. Are those cases likely to win? Probably not. They're going to have some serious procedural hurdles. But I'm sure those companies are going to be doing more so that they look like they care. And then again, the question will be: Is that another form of work workwashing? You know, I taught a class yesterday. UM, UM has a course on it on lawyering in a pandemic. So I taught the one on advising companies through COVID. And we talked about this issue and and kind of what companies are really sacrificing. So for example, you have some great companies, Netflix and others donating, not just a million, like a hundred million dollars. And I joked that, you know, it's not that hard for Netflix to do that. I sit home all day watching shows I never thought I'd watch because all I have to do is be on Zoom or watch Netflix. So it's, I mean, I'm not begrudging the donation, but it's a company that's doing, that's making a lot of money anyway. So giving money is great, but the real question when you're thinking about woke washing is how do you hire, retain, pay, promote your employees? What are your core values when it's not cool to be quote woke? And how are you treating your suppliers in the community?
2: Was was that, so it seems like I heard a little, there was a little wash about that uh, when Nike and the Colin Kaepernick thing that like, oh, this is so great that they're throwing all this money and they're doing this, great, um, you know, Serena Williams, Colin Kaepernick, all these people, but at the same time they have sweatshops in, I don't know, Cambodia or something. Well, you know, Nike is an interesting issue.
1: So, you know, the, the kind of business and human rights movement's been around for a long time, but really, uh, when Nike had its issues with the sweatshops in 1990, in the 1990s, it ended up being one of the first companies to join on to, uh, promoting and, and doing more in terms of of social responsibility, et cetera. You know, when Nike first did its ad about Colin Kaepernick a few years ago, it was uh, the 30th anniversary of the Just Do It campaign. And that was back when Colin Kaepernick was a pariah to many people. And they took a stand, made an ad about Kaepernick. Um, There was the threat of the boycott. And then there was the quote, boycott. The boycott, meaning we're gonna support the company. Right. Um, And companies that, that, and, and sporting goods stores that chose to boycott, some of them actually went out of business. So that was before it was, I think, cool or, or trendy, uh, to, to, to take a controversial stand, but Nike's always done that. Uh, and so, and for them, win or lose all press is good press, right? Because if anything, people are going to look at the ad to say, what's Nike talking about? What is this horrible thing I'm hearing about, um, that, that Nike's doing. And so for them, it was a, as a, I don't even think it was a risk. I yeah, think it was exactly. a very smart and savvy business move, but also, probably more courageous than many other companies would have been at the time. Uh-huh. Frankly, I'm really surprised by the level of public statements that companies have come out with. I didn't think many of them would go so far. It's, I don't think it's difficult to say we stand for social justice. The amount of companies that say black lives matter is really surprising to me. And I, and I would not have expected that. Uh-huh. Um,
2: so I, I was thinking about this this morning where you're having all these companies coming out, black lives matter. Uh- is there a place where or, or you have examples where companies have really navigated that di- divide, like not making it more like a more unifying message, I guess, is what because it seems like everything gets politicized, think, you know, I now what Black Lives Matter is left. left and you know, this other things right and all this. Like, where's that place where you go, hey, we're all going to love each other or I, I don't know.
1: Well, first there was the diversity movement, then there was the diversity inclusion, and now it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Uh So the thought is, are we paying people the same? Are people being treated equitably? You know, diversity means, you know, we're including, you know, we're getting you, we're inviting you to the table. Now do you get to dance kind of thing? All of those things. So I think that's not really that controversial because diversity can be anything. It could be political ideation. It could be geographic ideation. It could be whether you're left-handed or right-handed, it could be, um, where you went to school, all kinds of things can be considered diversity. And that's actually, you know, long ago when I was in corporate America, that was a big issue. What does it mean to be diverse? Is it just a person who's black? So for example, California has, uh, is is enacting its legislation, which is gonna require California-based companies um, to have diverse board members. So what does that mean? If you are in California and San Francisco and you have an Asian board member, is that diverse? It's like in Miami, where we have, is having a Latin board member that's diverse technically, but 70% of the population in Miami is is Latin. So th- this is a, I think this is where you're going to see the, the bigger movement. Uh, I, and that's a very controversial move that California is doing. You know, do you have mm-hmm. a black person on the board just to say you have a black person on the board? Or do you have, want to have a black person because of their range of experience? Does it matter? So these are the questions that I think people are looking at now. And I think that's, it's controversial, but it's, Black Lives Matter is a very controversial statement uh, for companies to make because it can be so polarizing. I don't think diversity, equity and inclusion is polarizing if it's done the right way. Right. If you really have a true diversity.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess part of this conversation has got to be about cancel culture. Because a lot of that is, you know, the president saying don't shop at at such and such a place or other people saying don't shop here because they support the president or something. Um, So what should companies do about speech during these kinds of crazy partisan times? Well, I'm conflicted about cancel culture because, of course, you know,
1: it's also prevalent in universities as well. Um, and all over social media. So on the one hand, you know, you would want people who say objectively sexist, racist, homophobic, outrageous things to be held accountable. But I don't know that denying the right to speak or automatically calling for terminations or boycotts is always the right thing. You know, so for example, remember Ellen DeGeneres, Uh, there was a huge backlash when she indicated that she is personal friends with George Bush. I can't remember which one it was, senior. I can't remember which one it was. 43, yeah. 43, right? just promoted outrage among some of her fans. Now, should they stop watching the show because she's friends with George Bush? I'm not sure. Should they stop watching if allegations about how she treats her guests and employees are true? That's a different story, you know? So this is a big issue for companies. So the president of Goya, who's a Hispanic male and leads profitable international food companies, I have Goya products in my cabinet right now, um, made some statements praising President Trump. That's his right. But he immediately got flack from people asking how he could support a president who's hostile to immigration, especially after the issues with children at the border last year. And so many people called for a boycott and the president cried foul and he decided this is an example of cancel culture. Some people did, like I said, the boycott. We're going to, you know... This guy supports the president. We support the president. Now we support Goya. The problem was, it's the funniest thing, is that this is an even bigger scandal because it's really a family-owned company. And his family members were outraged because it's not just the company, it's it's them. So, you know, when you talk about what companies should do, I think one of the biggest problems is people mistakenly believe that they have a First Amendment right in the workplace and they don't in a private workplace. If you work for the government, if you work for a, a state school, Yes, there are First Amendment rights and issues. The First Amendment's meant to protect you from the government, not your employer. And that's why your employer can have an employee handbook and a code of conduct and can tell you what you can and can't say. Um, But this is a difficult time to be a lawyer representing a company. Uh, Should you restrict what your employees wear? Can they wear a Black Lives Matter shirt, an All Lives Matter, a Blue Lives Matter pin? Can they wear a MAGA hat in in the workplace? Do you stop that? Do you say just no hats for everybody, kind of like you do with children? You can't wear a hat. You can't wear a hat. No hats. Nobody wears a hat. Nobody (laughs) wears a shirt with a saying on it. And some companies have come to that because they just don't want to deal with the political issues. You know, when I was an in-house lawyer during several elections, and this is an issue that people have to think about, can you wear political campaign buttons? Well, you're still also asking employees to contribute to your pack, right? So how do you do that? So it's a a tough, it's a dicey issue. I feel for, for lawyers representing companies right now.
2: Well, it's weird that the president just threw shade all over soup. You know, I'm sorry. That's a Goya product. <laughs> Buying that soup. Um, so let's switch over to McDonald's. So they're trying to claw back their, their, I guess, a golden parachute of their CEO after a bunch of unethical behavior. So that CEO, Steve Easterbrook, had this party boy reputation. Why not investigate first and fire for cause canceling that severance package? Like where did they compliance wise go so wrong? So the question is, I don't know if compliance
1: was involved at all, right? Typically you're going to have, you would like to have compliance involved, but not always. This may have been them hiring outside counsel, which they did. Mm -hmm. Um, don't know if the board hired the outside counsel, the GC hired the outside counsel, but this was a huge mystery to me because prior to joining academia, I was that outside lawyer who would do these investigations. Mm -hmm. And I was that deputy GC and I was that that head of HR and I was that labor person. You always look at the hard drives of the You don't trust somebody who says, I don't have any emails. Of course not. You investigate, you look at the cell phone records. If you have access to that, if you're paying for that cell phone, you say, I want to see the records. Who are you calling? Who are you texting? Um, you know, of course, there's privacy laws in different states, but there's still what you do. If it's your servers, you look at the emails, you can see stuff that's been deleted. That's why there's forensic people that deal with those kinds of issues. Every plaintiff's mm-hmm. lawyer can tell you that. Any family law you know, practitioner can tell you that nothing's ever really deleted, right? So I was stunned because I thought there had to have been some kind of thorough investigation because even if you're giving somebody a severance package, you still want to make sure it's the right decision, right? So it looks like the initial investigation didn't, you know, looked at what he said He had deleted emails, which they could have found. Um, And apparently what happened was he was fired for an alleged consensual relationship with a colleague, which is against their code of conduct. And really, Mm. you don't want to have that CEO because it can be consensual today and tomorrow it's not, and it's a problem. Um, So he said he deleted the emails, but those, of course, would still be on the company servers. So the board fired him in November. They gave him a $37 million severance package. Um, He denied any other additional sexual relationships. So he walks off with the thirty-seven million dollars, and then McDonald's gets a tip in July. He's fired in November. They had a tip in July that he had. There be at least three other women, and so they did another investigation. They find all of this stuff. They want their money back. Now it's in court. McDonald's has called him morally bankrupt. Easterbrook has said, look, this was always in your service. You could have found this and you never did, which is, you know, the height of gall. But, you know, I, I, it's it's true. Right? The lawyers, and right? <laughs> you know, that's why those lawyers get paid the big bucks to come up with that. Well, you know, I, yeah, I could have lied, but you should have found it. Right. So uh, almost right. sounds like a teenager. Yeah, I lied <laughs> to you, but you could have checked under my pillow to find the weed. Right. That's basically what he's saying. Right. Um, and McDonald's is also fired the head of H.R. for alleged proprieties who apparently had made a number of women uncomfortable at various company events. So they're investigating HR. They fired that HR person for cause and it's likely because people probably felt more comfortable coming out after McDonald's fired the CEO. Um, McDonald's has hired a former Boeing executive to be the head of HR, which is smart because Boeing has had its own compliance failures in the past. So Mm -hmm. it's good to build. um, If I'm McDonald's, I also hire somebody who's been through scandal or been at a company that's had to hope through a real turnaround because they know what that takes. Um, so I give kudos to the board for being willing to terminate a CEO who had engineered a turnaround for what they thought was a consensual relationship, but not many companies would take that step, even Mm -hmm. the era of me too. Right. Um, The clawback is the right thing to do, but not everybody's satisfied because there's already an investor group that's called for resignation of some of the board members. So I ask, you know, where was compliance? Was compliance involved? Um, How much involvement did the GC have? Now, often you're going to have outside counsel handle everything. I don't want to, you know, disparage the outside counsel who did this, but it is um, investigation 101 that you're going to look at the hard drives. You're going to mirror the hard drives. Don't even tell them that you're doing that before you even start the investigation hire the outside firm, don't ask him any questions, get the stuff off his hard drives first before you start asking questions. Those kinds of things. Right.
2: Well, The Kodak deal to produce pharmaceuticals was uh, sort of pulled off the rails by a Security and Exchange Commission insider trading uh, inquiry. So in cases like that, where, you know, a company is maybe from the outside looking like they're stepping up to fill a national need, where's the wrong wrongdoing? And- how could it have been done right? So first of all,
1: I don't know the demographics of the people who listen to the podcast. So if you have students, some of them don't even know what Kodak is, right? Because they take all their pictures <laughs> with their phones, right? Unless you're a photographer, like, Kodak, Eastman Kodak, what is that? I don't even know what that is. So it's a really big deal for people who actually know what Kodak is, because Kodak is, or actually was, a great historical company for making cameras, film, but completely missed the boat on digital um, digital cameras. And so it was pretty much kind of a moribund company that had mm-hmm. been borrowing money to stay alive at very high interest rates because very few people use film and they weren't really doing anything else. So they had been tasked or they ha- they had... They don't have it anymore. A $765 million loan from the federal government to make medications for COVID, which surprised everybody, including people in the pharmaceutical industry who say, all right, well, Kodak can make chemicals to develop film, but just going from that to making, you know, to making a uh, uh, Life saving medicine is a completely different thing, right? So there's a public private partnership. The, the government is spending billions of dollars to have vaccines ready in months versus years, itself a controversial issue thing. So you mm-hmm. pretty much want people who are experts in the pharmaceutical industry. So Any number of questions will come up just about the judgment to do the $765 million loan, where it's become, so let's say poor judgment, it is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's become an issue because the company issued 1.75 million stock and stock options to company insiders and board members before the public announcement of the federal loan. The stock price shored up a 1,000%. Upon the announcement of the federal loan, mm-hmm. um, within 48 hours, the option grants, the values had gone up, at least on paper, to $50 million. So people got rich, which mm-hmm. leads people to say, we could understand this if this was Pfizer or AstraZeneca, but Kodak, what kind of sweetheart deal was done here for a company, again, that was not even doing very well financially? So it's different when you have General Motors is going to go and make ventilators because, you know, that's not too far off, you know, engines, ventilators, we get it. You know, a clothing company is now going to make masks. Making pharmaceuticals in already a rushed time period with a company it's not a pharmaceutical company caused some questions. What are the relationships between the people in the Kodak company and the Trump administration? All kinds of questions. So the SEC has put a hold to this. Um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be clawbacks of some of that money that's that's been done, but it's just a sign of, you know, My question was, you know, where was the compliance officers? Where was the GC to say, look, board, this is going to look askance. Or even if even if people don't question the judgment, let's make sure you don't trade because this is the allegations are insider trading, right? Kodak had material, meaning significant and an ordinary investor would want to know this non-public information and chose to make decisions based on that, right? So let's say you, Catherine, for some reason, still had some Kodak stock, right? You got it as a child back when it was a big deal. You decided to keep it. You're hoping for the turnaround or you've just completely forgotten. If you knew that they were going to get a $765 million uh, then you might choose to buy more stock. Mm-hmm. especially if nobody else knew it. And that's the right. question. That's why insider trading harms the marketplace, because the reasonable investor would have wanted to know this. Somebody might have said, I don't own a Kodak stock, but I'm going to buy some today right. if I knew that they were going to get it. So if you bought Kodak stock the day after, that stock is wildly more expensive than it would have been the day before. And the only people who got the benefit of that were the people who had the inside information.
2: So it was definitely a walk like a duck situation, right? Right. I'm not not
1: accusing anybody of any illegality. That's for the SEC and others to do. Um, But it's just, you know, you know, as as lawyers, compliance officers, general counsel, in-house counsel, the role is to act as the gatekeeper. Right. So even if this wasn't, Uh, uh, you know, potentially illegal insider trading, there's some ethical questions about, are we the right people to take money to produce a life-saving vaccine in record time when we don't know how to do this at all? So I have questions. What if the general counsel or the in-house counsel say, you know, I think they're cutting corners, not just for this company, by the way, for any pharmaceutical company. At some point, there's got to be scientists saying, this may be too fast, are, are people going to be comfortable being whistleblowers, whistleblowers um, in a, when there's a public-private partnership with the federal government? Now, I used to be on a whistleblower protection advisory committee. Um, it was a multidisciplinary committee uh, brought up uh, under the Obama administration. As soon as the president came in office, the whistleblower protection advisory committee was disbanded. You know, whistleblowers don't have the same level of, of protection and freedom, much less in a public-private partnership with the federal government. So that's something I'd be particularly worried about. If people are in these big pharma companies and they're seeing things that that don't look right, who are they going to tell when your partner is the federal government?
2: Yeah, sure. Blockbuster making, I don't know, airplanes. Very weird. Exactly. Um, so we're, we're talking about the, the... sort of the landscape being particularly ripe for bad actors testing the boundaries of ethics. So... It, is it getting worse or better? Like, it sounds like all this whistleblower, like non-protection is actually making things a lot worse.
1: Well, so there's a different, so at the time we were looking at 22 whistleblower laws and there's dozens more, right? Uh-huh. Um, the SEC right now is actually looking at, at making some changes to the whistleblower, to the Dodd-Frank whistleblower rules. Um, so they put some proposals out. There's a comment period, et cetera, which may make some things better, may make some things worse. On the other hand, even in the Trump administration, there have been some record-breaking whistleblower awards uh, for, for securities fraud, financial violations, et cetera. So I'm not saying things are necessarily worse for whistleblowers. I'm saying, if you're in a public-private partnership with the government, who are you going to go to, right? So, when the president himself has said, "I want that 765 million dollar loan to go there," that's where that's where I'm saying is the issue. Yeah. As for things, is it ripe for fraud? I mean, look at the PPP loans. You know, one of the things that they made very clear for these um, loans for small businesses um, is that you know if you are committing fraud, you might be debarred or prevented from doing business with the federal government in the future. That's a big thing, but you still have people getting loans and buying Lamborghinis and those kinds of things. And right. It's a business expense,
2: Marcia. It's a business business expense. expense.
1: Exactly. You gotta look like you're making money to earn money. I get it. Again, you know, people do that all the time. So I think the, is it getting worse? I don't know if it's getting worse, but I think with social media, the way it is, infractions are instantly reported even before an investigation, by the way. Um, and so, you know, if I was representing a company or if I was a compliance officer or an in-house lawyer, outside lyra I'd say, you know, make sure you've got your crisis management plan ready. Make sure that the your legal people are aware of the business decisions and more importantly, that they have the right to raise issues, that they can really keep that gatekeeper role going. Because the minute something gets out, you may take a huge reputational hit, even if you're legally correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and so are you working with your corporate communications or your PR people? Do you have a crisis management plan? You know, if you say something and the president comes out and says something the next you know, a few minutes later, is your stock price going to wildly go up or wildly go down? Um, that's That's a tough time. So no. um, I
2: don't know like that it's one worse where you or better. You wouldn't want to be Elon Musk's uh, crisis communicator. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I think if you're working for any kind of company, but especially a company with a with a founder or a CEO that is you know, uh, expressive and opinionated. Uh, That's got a real impact for the shareholders. And the question again is, can boards rein people in? Like Elon Musk has been very expressive, but his stock price is through the roof. So at some point, does that cause people to say, well, we'll just let him be him. Or let's say it's not Elon. We'll just let Catherine be Catherine. She may say things off the wall, but eventually it's making money for the shareholders. And sometimes the is it might be making money for the shareholders, but what about the stakeholders? What about the community, the employees, the vendors, the suppliers, all the other people that can be affected by statements or comments or, or changes in company policy?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, is there any takeaway you want to leave our listeners with? No, I think this is a great time to be a lawyer. It's a great time
1: to be a reporter. Um, and you know, we're coming into an election cycle now. Uh, companies are now thinking, what happens if there's a Biden administration? What, what happens to regulations that were that were rolled back? Do they come back in play? You know, what companies really care more about than anything is just certainty. Just let's, let's know what the rule is and we can deal with that. Right? So companies had prepared, for example, for a number of environmental regulations that got rolled back. Now, do they prepare for them again if there's a Biden administration? If there's a Trump administration, what do you do? Um, you know, who are you giving political contributions to? There's just so many different things that, that go on uh, when we're in an election time, um, coupled with a pandemic, <laughs> coupled with the biggest social justice movement probably since the 60s. There's a lot for companies to think about that are beyond their core business of making widgets and and so it's a it's time for lawyers to really think like business people so they can be at the table like in the hamilton you know musical be in the room when it happens um so that you can keep yourself from being you know talked about on the miami law explainer
2: (laughs) be nimble my friends right (laughs) But if they do that, I can always come back. (laughs) Yes, of course, of course. Well, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, Good to see you. And
1: great talking to you as well. All right. Take care now. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Ugez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Entertainment and Sports Law Society's September 10th event, Reopening Hollywood. A stellar panel looks at the challenges facing the entertainment industry as it struggles to stand. To register, search Reopening Hollywood at law.miami.edu.